All right, hello, 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 everyone. My name is Diamond Rivera of the Live Discussions with Diamond podcast, and you're tuned to a very special episode. We're going all the way back to New York. But before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Do Buckshot the Radio, where you can listen to this interview live in high quality. And tonight, people, again, like I said, we're taking it all the way back to New York City, and we're bringing along an amazing artist all the way from the Abaqua Afro-Latin Dance Company, the one and only Mrs. Leah Robertson. Hi, everyone. Hello, <laughs> hello Leah. Um, we're meeting under some strange times nowadays. Uh, I'm glad at least I can see you again after all this all this time. I feel like it was just yesterday that we were backstage in the, the Queens Museum putting on that whole show. Oh man. Oh yes. Wow. The wow, the world the World Fair Congress. Yes. Wow. You're bringing it back. I that was it. <laughs> wow. Um, well, Leah, again, I want to thank you so much for appearing on tonight, uh, this episode, because for me, with New York artists, you the company you were with, uh, the artistry, creativity, the uh, reinvention of what dance really is about. I think especially Abaqua for many years, actually over a decade plus, has really been synonymous. And I really feel like leaders of the dance schools around, in my opinion. I mean, for you guys, uh, the fluidity, uh, just the way you approach uh, the music, uh, the routines you have is just so diverse. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, but before we get really started on things, how have you been thus far? I'm doing okay. And I feel like if anyone else is doing okay, it's more than we need right now, right? Like this is, we just need to get through each day. Um, I, I've gone through a lot, but I know I am very much not alone in that. And I, I find solace in that, in the fact that everyone, no matter what they're going through, it could be completely different. And it usually is. Mm -hmm. um, but we're all going through something and we're all going through this collective experience. So um, I know we're going to get through it. And as stressful as each day is, and sometimes I get super frustrated and people see it here on, <laughs> on social media, but, <laughs> but I'm completely hopeful. You know, I'm completely hopeful. I know that the world has bounced back from these things before. Um, but as long as we take care of each other, like that's, mm -hmm. that's really all that matters. I love it. I mean, and the honesty, like you said, um, especially with this pandemic, you've seen many people are just much more expressive in their thoughts most of the time, but pre COVID most of these topics that we talked about were amongst friends in our circles and never really engaged a fuller, a larger audience and allowing people to think and understand. Um, so for me, it's like, you know, we learn how to adapt um, to now situations. And it's definitely going to feel weird kind of when in the future, uh, when things are to a normalcy, seeing how the dance scene really uh, goes from there. But also, too, uh, during the interview, we will be having live comments coming in. For example, Mr. Mike Bello here, all the way from Brooklyn, as well. We have a special someone here. Ah. <laughs> yes, as well. 
Mr. Owen. Oh. And it's, yeah, we're definitely going to get some love tonight. Uh, so, Leah, for me, I love kind of with every guest that I have, understanding um, in the beginning really how were you as a person before dance kind of really came into your life. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's really like I love just asking the artist, let's take it all the way back uh, to where it all began. Okay. Uh, it's so funny that you are probably the first person, even with my friends in, mm -hmm. in the community, who has asked me that. I mean, they probably know things, but yeah. um, it's <laughs> the first time I think I've ever formally told anyone my story. Uh, but basically, um, I think this dates back to elementary school, but I remember in fifth grade in elementary school, I fell in love with vocal music. It just became, it became something that I was, um, I don't know, my passion. And, and we sang a lot in school and we had our little choruses and, you know, in the auditorium, you had to go to assembly and everyone sang, um, but it really got serious for me. And so I had auditioned for a junior high school called Mark Twain that's in Coney Island. Um, and it was an arts and science school, but you had to audition, even if it was something like science or math, you audition or, t or take a test to get into the school. And I chose media, um, which I didn't wind up doing and vocal music. And so in my seventh grade year, I went from media talent, they called it, into vocal music. And it was classical choral music. Um, our teacher, our director, he had us doing stuff that was we used to go to competitions once a year and, and we were the only junior high and we would go around different states on the East Coast. And so we're competing with high schools and we would beat them. And so he was training us. And so I fell in love with the difficulty, the, the music, everything about it. And so that was my life in junior high. Um, obviously in high school, I didn't have the same director. I didn't have the yeah. same program, but I went to another performing arts um, intense uh high school murrow in brooklyn mm -hmm. um and so there i wound up because they did have vocal music and i joined the chorus and i enjoyed it but by my second year i got into theater and i started out with musical theater and i did some dramatic works and the theater um because i could do it all uh, and that's yeah. really the only dancing i did was the dancing i did was in musical theater mm -hmm. there was no training except what i got there um and i just loved it it was like you know, every day, if you, if you got into a show every day, five days a week for three months, you practice, rehearse. There were kids backstage. These are kids and they're producing these amazing sets and lighting. And it was like really like being on Broadway in our high school. So, I mean, I had the theater bug bad. Um, but again, then I went to college mm -hmm. and I started at SUNY Albany and there I couldn't even, I mean, I couldn't compete. Like, I think I auditioned for one show. I did not make it in so many. I was just, I was not as into theater as I was into the music side of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined the classical chorale there and I just kept going with the vocal music. Um, and it wasn't until I came back downstate because to be honest, upstate New York, after two wow. years, it got really depressing. Yeah. And if anyone's into, I mean, I, I love it. I love the wings. I love going to the Pepsi arena and seeing mm -hmm. uh, musicians and shows. But if you lived a summer in Albany and north of that, it, it's really hard. We had three feet of snow one April, and I said, uh, I'm out of here. I'm not digging this thing out <laughs> anymore. It, it's <laughs> funny you say SUNY Albany. I mean, my wife yeah. lives in Plattsburgh, near Plattsburgh. Oh. But yeah. I completely understand where you're going. 
another world. And it was like, if someone dyed their hair up there, mm -hmm. red or blue, the campus was up in arms. Everyone was freaking out. And I remember the friend, the group of friends I had was super diverse from all over, but even they were, you know, from Nyack was like the most South yeah. that they were from. And so I'm like, I, I really, I need to work and I need to get out of here. So I came back downstate um, and I once I got my first job when I was 20 working in a Mexican restaurant in the West Village and it changed my life. Mm. Um, I, I was around people from Mexico mostly, but South America, some from the Caribbean. And a lot of people, for the first time I was surrounded by the majority of people who did not speak English or that English was not their first language. Yeah. And, they were hustling and they were struggling to be here. And of course there were Americans working there also, but they really, they did something to me, like working with them and they're my family. If, if any of them happened to, to see this, uh, like tuned in. Um, but being in that restaurant, we had a live DJ every night and brunch was like the biggest party. And so that's where I got into heavy, into rock and espanol. And I started listening mm -hmm. to a lot of like Latin pop music. And part of that was salsa. And the first time I remember this, I heard um, Willy Colon and I heard Calle Luna, Calle Sol. Mm -hmm. And I went up to the DJ and I said, what is this? <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to make you a mix CD. And I, I, it not only changed my life because we would go out dancing every, every night after work and, and we loved it, um, but it, it influenced me to go back to school because I had taken a couple months off. I went back to Hunter and I just started studying Spanish intensively. Uh, my grandmother is from Spain, but we did. It wasn't, you know, she didn't bring my dad up speaking Spanish. It wasn't. Uh, it, wasn't well, I, it, not, it was another world then. And and he, I always felt bad because he spoke German because of like uh, the, the Vietnam War. He learned it in Europe. And I'm like, you speak German. <laughs> How did you not go back and learn anything? Yeah. So, but I went back and I said, if there, if my coworkers and friends are putting this much effort into learning English and I know how hard it is. I'm like, I, I'm so inspired. I need to learn it. This language is beautiful. It's a part of me that I'm not familiar with and I'm going to go and study it. And it became, and it something that I studied for two years. Um, and then fast forward to 2004, I had just left this restaurant or maybe 2004, I think. Um, and my girlfriends from high school wanted to go out and one of them loved Cuban music. She knew this Cuban band. And so she said, let's go to this place called La Bella Pac. Some people, old school dancers in New York will know this, um, but they shut down a couple of years after yeah. they started dancing. So they were right around Union Square, the cutest, I think on the second or third floor, just the cutest old timey um, little lounge. And they had live Cuban band. Um, I think a lot of bands that are still around now were playing there. And I remember I had my snow boots on and I danced with a couple of old guys and I said, I need to learn this. Not just going out to the bars and like clubs with my friends. And I, I danced merengue, bachata, and I danced salsa, but I danced with mm -hmm. salsa with my friends from every country in the world. So everyone danced differently. Um, and I found a flyer and uh, I found a flyer for Dance Manhattan, which, mm -hmm. you know, where old Jimmy, Ant Jimmy Anton's was on 19th Street. And they said they it was a crash course that they did. And I think they did it every month. Um, and so this was maybe it was the it was around like Thanksgiving time, and I I didn't want to wait till that time, so I found another teacher that I could just take a private with, and I I think I, I didn't Google it, but I researched it, 
and I found Gina um, D'Ambrosio mm -hmm. and her partner Hector. They were Salsa International. I did a private with them to hold me off until the crash course. And then I early 2005, I took that crash course at Dance Manhattan. Um, and it just, I just never stopped. I never stopped. I, I kept going like every month I was taking classes. I started on one a few months. Um, Rodney Lopez is one of my first teachers um, from dancing classrooms. If anyone saw Mad Hop Ballroom, he was my he was my first like um, teacher I was committed to. Mm. Uh, I met a lot of people there, and uh, and I just yeah, a couple of years after that is where I found uh, Frankie's class. I shouldn't say found. I was forced. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was wow. the end of my first year dancing. At the end of my first year, and my friend Jen, who she worked the front desk at at Dance Manhattan and she said, um, I wanna take you to this class. She's like, it's a place called Empire Dance. Oh, again, it's no longer here, it's gone. Yeah. You should dancing um, took over once they the, the studio closed down. But she's like, I'm just gonna take you. And I said, okay, I have a dinner later on. I'm, I'm gonna go out after. So she's like, it's okay, you don't need anything. So I went to his arm work class. I went to the back of the room, tight, small studio, you know, old school packed with people, sweaty, and I had jeans on and this little brown shirt from Express because I was ready to go out to a nice dinner at Guantanamera up on 8th Avenue. And I just started the class and the class is like half footwork mm -hmm. and then he adds the arms and hands. And I was in the back saying, I am never gonna use this at Latin Quarter. Like this is, this, I'm never gonna do this. And I also thought he was making fun of us the whole time. And I said, he's talking about me, he's talking about me. Yeah. So I didn't go back. That was like the fall of 2005. I didn't go back till the next fall. And I took the body movement isolations class, his signature class. And I said, I realized I was a different person and a different dancer. And then the rest, it was just history. I took that class religiously for two months until I got the courage to take more. Yeah. Um, and then three years later, I, I was invited to join the company. In 2009, I started training with everybody. And it was the scariest time, honestly, the, the scariest time of my life. Because um, uh, I, I should just add, because the story is so long, but um, I had no intention for being, I didn't even know dance companies existed. That's how much I didn't understand. You know, you come into, and we, we should realize that now when we see new dancers, and I think a lot of people that I know can relate to this. If someone takes their first class, they have no idea that this whole world, this community exists. Yeah. It's like CrossFit, right? It, there's a lifestyle, you know, it becomes this whole thing and you, you make connections and friendships. People are getting married because of dance. Um, but yeah, I, I had no idea what was going on. So, so, I mean, we did, he, Frankie offered his first performance project before anyone called it a project, you know, when it was just yeah. the performance classes, he was the first to say, okay, I'm finally going to do this. And he said, are you going to take it? Because I'd been a student for like two years. And I said, of course, you're choreographing something for students. I'm, I'm there. And at the end of that performance, um, or maybe at the after two or three, I think I did three of them. He had invited myself and a friend to start training. And I had to think about it because I I had sat in on the on the company rehearsals. These people were they weren't my my good friends yet, but we were acquaintances, and I had so much respect. I'm going to all the shows, and I'm sitting in the audience, in love with everything, and the music, and the choreography, and the people. Um, and yeah, I I uh, I knew I couldn't hang with that. I just could because I was in the presence of greatness, you know. Um, 
But I also knew that even for someone that wasn't interested in professional, I had no interest in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that I couldn't pass it up because it was almost squandering um, this gift that was being offered to me. And I said, well, at least I'm gonna try, you know, I'll, I'll work hard, I love learning. I just wanna be a student, so, and I really just wanted to get better at it. So this was the way to do it. Um, and the next year, 2010, I took my first trip with Abakwa and um, and I performed two pieces with them in Poland and the rest is just history. It's, a, wow. it's yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing because how kind of the pieces fell into place of you being able to have that opportunity and realizing too, um, really back then, early 2000s, you had dance schools, but not on the level or dance companies, but not on, not on the level of this time or pre-COVID. There's just been so many companies and groups that form over the years and realizing kind of the journey of not just um, realizing too with dancers. is There's two different things that usually happen at classes. You have those that take a class, say, ah, I'm not too sure. It's a little too much. I'm going to step away. And then there's other people that like that challenge and it feeds into them and it makes them want to learn more. And realizing it's okay to be a little bit nervous when you don't know. But now you're learning and seeing people like Frankie that just have a different aura. I mean, of course, with Frankie Martinez, who will we be speaking to tomorrow as well, realizing the impact he had on the scene. And like you said, many people who kind of find this type of classes and things don't know about that world unless they kind of say, all right, let me look into it. You take a few classes, word of mouth goes around, there's an event, and that's really how the networking really starts. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. Like it's funny when you have people that start doing Afro-Latin dance, they come into it and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea You know, it, it reached this far, but it's just like, my knitting club or my yoga community or something, but you realize that people that flock together from um, whatever their backgrounds are, when they flock together and come together with a common interest, these are subcultures and sub communities that exist within your neighborhoods, within your state, within your, your ethnic communities, you know? It's a really, I mean, it's something I feel like there's so many things, so many opportunities I was afforded, so many cultures I've been exposed to that have changed my life um, because of of Afro Latin dance, yes, I I would never have seen these other countries. I would never have fallen in love with Asia. If any of my my friends are still are waking up this early to see this, but um, you know, I mean, I it's it's really life changing. It really is. Aisha, if she's still watching, is a she always said that like travel really changes your life. Yeah. But if it wasn't for dance, we wouldn't we may not have had the same opportunities, you know, cause I had no money to travel either. Uh, and I didn't know that would come mm-hmm. with, that was part of the deal. So that was blessing <laughs> on top of it. Yeah, many, many people artists like, fortunately don't know. <laughs> no, people used to say to me, but you never, you never take vacation. This is even pre-dancing. You never take vacation, you ever do this. I'm like, yeah, cause I live in New York and oh. I can barely, you know, even now I got to afford my rent and I lived with a roommate then. So travel was, low on my list of priorities. But mm-hmm. after that first taste and that experience of, especially the fact that it wasn't just travel, it was you know connecting with people 
from exactly. that culture and from people of different cultures that all obviously love this thing, if not the same or more than I did. It was, um, it, talk about inspiring, you know, and humbling. No, absolutely. Because I think many people don't understand that with dance, um, the greatest thing really is the socialization aspect, being able to not just a network, but learn, like you said, learn about other cultures, diversities, races, what have you. And what I loved, especially with Abakwa, was the diversity of nationalities that ran through that uh, that company, um, realizing people of all nationalities, creeds, races, what have you, really took in what Frankie and the company brought and really delved deep into the Afro-Latin side. Because especially in our dancing, everybody does, of course, the on-to style. Most people do. But it's very few companies that can do that, but also tap in deeper into the roots of it. And I think, or I know, that really Abacua really hit that on the nail, especially with the routines that came about. And the question I have is, what is one of well, actually, what was the first routine that you were a part of that you were able to travel with? So the the first two pieces and and the the unique thing about Abaqua and about Frankie's choreography is that um, when they, you know, when they first started, they were doing individual pieces, you know, mm-hmm. numbers, routines, the way everyone calls them. Uh, but there was a point right before I even started dancing. I think it was just around the time I had just caught wind of all this and um, took my first class. Frankie started building full-length dance theater productions. So there was one piece that was three minutes long, and he would build a 30-minute piece around that. And so what we have now are, I, um, I probably am losing track, but eight or nine full length 30 minute pieces that were made for the stage. And of course he's broken them up. If, you know, maybe at a Congress they need something less and we we adapt. But the first pieces that I worked on were two 30 minute pieces. So it's like, <laughs> it's not just, hey, you're, you're gonna learn, uh, you're gonna learn two three minute songs and that's it. No, you're, I mean, he was very, um, again, as, as, a, as a consummate professional and as a real creative director and a teacher, he didn't just say, okay, you're gonna learn every single thing. Yeah. I'm gonna give you parts to learn sections and all of this. Um, and so I learned a piece called After Hour Funk, mm-hmm. which is about 28, 30 minutes. Wow. And then after that, I learned a piece called Stills. And so, and these happened to be two pieces that were, I believe that were the first show I had ever seen in 2006. They performed these pieces and I mean, after our funk is just one of the most rhythmically difficult, they all are, but rhythmically difficult pieces of choreography. And as time went on and he kept choreographing, I uh, I realized that he was only going to get more complex and more refined. As, and it was like, <laughs> damn it, can't you, like, I thought that stuff was hard and it just kept getting more difficult. But man, he was using so much Latin funk in there. Um, you know, from Ray Barreto to to Joe Batan, all of these songs, um, and then Stills was was so special to me because watching the the original people and the it wasn't the original uh, number it was based off of, but the company that I saw performing this was about statues in a museum that come to life, and I mean, if it's one thing to watch this on a stage and 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 the women, all of them, but 
the, the, the women dancers of Abakwa, like they just looked like these beautiful glittering goddesses. And then you have to debut that with them. I mean, I'm, I actually have chills, like it's hot as hell in my apartment. And I have chills <laughs> thinking about that. The first show, you know, Aisha taught me how to do, she, she made me learn how to do the makeup, but then she finished me up. And at the end, she sprayed us all with glitter. Not like gross, you know, clown yeah. glitter, but beautiful gold mist. And you felt like, you know, because it wasn't just doing a dance performance. You were in character. And that's something yeah. that, you know, the music, man, it's just, yeah, it, those are my two pieces. Of, but two 30-minute pieces, so, and it, yeah. It's, and it's people, people have to understand, too, even just being pieces, those are productions. And I think that also intrigues people like yourself who have a background in theater because you understand with that company and the routines that are created, it's formed as a production, people coming in and out. There are themes to the actual routine. So that intrigue there. And especially in New York, I think that was extremely refreshing because you had people that would just do salsa, bachata, slowly or later on became really uh, a driving force. And But you had few companies that tapped into the roots of what we dance, especially Afro-Latin, doing funk, just being, uh, just incorporating, especially with Frankie and his style, I think his influence of karate and things of that nature really tied in. And that's what I admired about Abakwa, I think, as well. Um, I remember you guys vividly when I really got to see, because I was actually at uh, a El Museo de Barrio, I guess you guys are performing for, it was like a one-time event um, from a guy from Japan or China that was doing it. And I remember you guys in the back and I remember you doing Dove. I remember you performing. Uh, yes. I remember. At that the, was the fundraiser, the yes. AIDS fundraiser, that Baila Society, Bailando yes. por una causa. Right. Yes. And I remember just seeing you guys and Baila Society there and me being in the background doing the, the artist direction and just seeing how you guys operated. And I was like, wow. Just seeing how everything fell into place of one person's on this side, this angle, and how everything flowed right in with the music. And I was like, wow, this is different. It's not just four or five couples and just dancing. It really truly is a production. And the song choice is so key. Um, because that's music that many people who are musically inclined and love different styles of music, especially when I heard it, shazammed it right away and was <laughs> filming in the back. But um, for me, yeah, Dove was amazing. And also realizing that you guys were really not even just stepping outside of the box. I mean, you were just being yourselves. And I think that's what helped attract a lot of students, even younger seeing uh, different students coming in and out of your company and just seeing them just, when they come out of it, it's just so different. So more, they flow with the music more. It's almost like water in a sense, uh, the way you guys move. Um, for me now, as you talked earlier about performing and being able to travel and how important traveling is, but also how dance allows you to do that. What will, what, what really amazing experiences have you had at some of your international performances? Oh man, 
there's i mean there's there's really a lot it's so incredible uh i could go through everything we've done but i i'm going to pick one with mm -hmm. the company and and one on my own because they've been very different and different mm -hmm. points in my development and my journey but um you know i Oh, there's so many with the company, but because I didn't realize how many countries yeah. I had been to or how many times we had revisited. We went to Poland twice or, or I went twice uh, with them and Istanbul and Italy. And I'll, I'll tell you, though, the, the first trip to Poland, though, because the two trips that we went on mm -hmm. was in Krakow, Poland, um, but it was in the salt mines. And so people unless you were there you can't understand not only just the surrealness of performing mm -hmm. i think it was 20, 20 for, for my international friends 20 meters down it was you had to take a rickety old like a miner's elevator oh, you know no so, a, a miner's elevator 20 meters i don't maybe more than that i'm not good with the metric system but down so it was a good like 45 second, you know, minute drop down there and you had to go down and then you had to walk down this, their tunneled out, you know, hallway. Oh, wow. And they were doing, I guess they were holding all of these um, weddings and events there, but you're also very close to old, um, uh, I'm sorry, it, close to, to old concentration camps. So wow. there's a lot of history going on in that city. Um, but here we are down there. Our, our host was saying, go ahead, lick the walls. And this is like, we're walking through these cavernous uh, hallways and we're like, lick the walls. They're like, there's salt in the walls. Go ahead. I'm like, I'm not doing it. A couple of people did it. Our friend, uh, Jimmy Ruiz from the company, Aisha, I'm sure they both, I know they licked it. And then finally I like did it. And I'm like, okay, we're licking yeah. the salt mine wall. Like this is crazy. But, but being down there, you know, it was my first show also, but, but you get dehydrated. We didn't know that. Uh, so putting on an hour long show um, was really crazy, but um, but it was just such a fantastic experience because that was my first taste of international um, salsa festivals, right? And not only that, but this was during a time where these international festivals were inviting um, mostly Abaqua, but also people like Tropical Gem and some some very true dance companies, you know, that had repertoires. They would have an an opening night and there wouldn't be any other shows. And we opened the festival. So it was our hour long show. You didn't sit there for another three hours watching another performance. <laughs> we just kicked it off and then we got to change, dance and you know have drinks and enjoy. And it was really, really special. And then of course, you know, sitting with the company in a room, watching someone's, um, plug someone's camcorder into a TV and watching this whole thing. And it was like, it was just a really special experience, and um, and also just being able to you know explore the culture there, and but really it was just the fact that it was this first time, and um, I'll never forget that Karen Ashry, um, our dancer from Israel who now lives in LA, she said to me after when we were watching the footage, she was like, "I didn't worry about you for a minute," and I was like, "What does that mean?" But I knew what she meant, like. She didn't have to worry that she had to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that was the greatest compliment to this day of my life, I think, because someone didn't have to worry that I was going to basically F up the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just to, to do put a production on like that for the first time and for a crowd that most people did not speak English was was really intense. Um, you know, that and then I, I have to say that um, 
my first trip to Asia, which is just 2016, just mm -hmm. um, four and a half years ago now, um, I went there to, after years of my friend David uh, telling me, you got to come to my motherland, to come to Taiwan, you got to meet me there. We're going to do a whole thing. I'll take you everywhere. And finally, I got my ticket and I said, I'm going this year. I thought all our friends were going to come with us too, but no oh. one else bought the ticket. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I mean, <laughs> I like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it, it is. It is. He had all the deals, but it was expensive. It was expensive, but I, I saved for it. Um, and the a friend there now, Calvin, he had his annual festival there that started out as a little beach party and it turned into three to 500 people, uh, mm. a, a big salsa carnival that he called it. And so, before I came about five or six months, he said, do you want to dance at the, at the festival? And I was like, by myself, absolutely not. And I just laughed it off. And then I said, well, I guess maybe I could, maybe I should try this. I'm not a choreographer. Maybe if I ask Frankie, he'll help me. Um, and so I did. And, and I, I had a, a friend there, a mutual friend of ours from Poland that lives in Taiwan that helped grow the scene. I was already gonna do some workshops with her cause I had started teaching the year before. And um, that year Frankie choreographed my first solo for me. Uh, and I found this song and he, I thought he wasn't gonna like it. And I said, I just, I said, I want you to pick the music but I love this song. And if you like it, can you let me know? Cause he doesn't just put steps and I should say that cause mm -hmm. this is, it's part of this. What, what sets him apart and there are other choreographers that do this in Afro-Latin dance, there just aren't many. Mm -hmm. He's composing the way people learn how to compose when they study dance and choreography in school or when they study musical composition and arranging. So he's not only trying to reflect and manifest the music, not just follow the music note for note, um, he's listening to the, the feeling of the song, but also the thematic changes. And so, you know, what you see in a production is, which most, and I, I'm sorry to say that, but it's just a reality, it's not a bad mm -hmm. thing, but most people who choreograph in, in Latin dance, um, I see very few that thematically compose. Mm -hmm. So you have a verse that starts it off, right? But then you have a chorus. And then later on in the song, the chorus repeats, but the dancers are doing totally different things now. But yeah. the musician said, we're going to repeat this. And and choruses, in case anyone doesn't know, um, they're like jingles. Choruses, a chorus is the hook. That's how a song connects you. So you know when Hector Lavoe sings uh, El Cantante, you know the chorus and you're like, I may not know any other words, but I'm going to learn that. And it makes you feel part of the music as opposed to separate. And that's what he does with choreography. And so... He's choreographed things that are very thematic and have a structure. Mm -hmm. He's also choreographed stuff that's also like a descarga, which is just freestyle. But then he will put in uh, a structure to it just so that the audience isn't lost. Yes. This is like randomness. So he said, I can choreograph this for sure. And I love it. But of course, I pick, uh, I pick a bomba, which goes into a mambo, <laughs> but this is traditional Puerto Rican folklore. And I love it. I love the music. I love the dancers. But Puerto Rican, I am not. And so now I had this added responsibility of, mm. I need to do this justice. And he, not only did I say that, he said it, and he asked my music teacher, and a lot of people know him, um, Mr. Louis Bauzo, who is, I mean, he's he's the teacher to the teachers. He's uh, He performed and, and recorded with 
Tito Puente, Johnny Colon, um, uh, Larry Harlow, who he still was performing with, but he's from the, he taught at the Boys and Girls Harbor. And so Frankie said, I need to make sure I understand what's happening on those drums mm -hmm. and that that's a traditional bomba. So I don't, he's like, cause I'm not gonna disrespect that either. And I said, this is another level, right? I, I didn't realize what I got into, but but I did it, I, I, I rehearsed, excuse my language, but the, the shit out of it, I had to, because I'm like, I'm by myself. The company had to do a show outdoors that same time that I was gonna be performing in New York, they had to do something and I was gonna be in Taiwan. I had to miss a whole performance. I didn't, it was last minute thing, but, but we all knew we were performing like the same day or a day after each other. And I said, my God, I'm gonna be all alone. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And for anyone that's done a solo or choreographed a solo or watched a solo, I mean, it is the most, you have to hold yourself to such a high level of responsibility because it's just you out there. If you get tired, you are like, there's no one else to, to help raise that energy, right? You have to do the whole thing. You have to tell the story. And, um, and it was so, it was uh, it was intense. And so I had this amazing trip. I'm eating everything in the world. I'm, in, I'm getting introduced to this amazing community of dancers in Taiwan, which was my first taste of Asian dancers doing Afro-Latin dance. And some of them were heavier into specifically Afro-Cuban dance. I'm mm -hmm. not an Afro-Cuban dancer, but they, it was a part of, the, they loved it. They studied the music, they were studying the folklore, they were studying the religion, and I mean, it humbled me and it was also like, these are the kind of people I wanna study with. I, lo I love this. And so it was a beautiful, a beautiful experience. But at the end of that, you know, doing this thing on my own, um, and I had friends there. I had Manny Blackett from the company. He was traveling around Asia and he met up with us in Taiwan. And so I had family there. And by that point, everyone became family. But when I finished the show, this girl came up to me. I, I actually think that she's from Nicaragua. I, I, I don't wanna get that wrong though, but she lives in Taiwan. And she said to me, I loved it so much. She's like, but you're like, you're like a real dancer. And I smiled, but something about that broke my heart also because it was, it was a reality check. I had known this for years and years, but it was a reality check that to a lot of people, even to some Latin dancers, Latin dance is not a real dance. Mm -hmm. And that's deep for me. And again, like even with my, you know, I'm Italian, Spanish, a little Scotch Irish, my last name. Um, I don't know that part of my family, but, but even with that, I'm a visitor in this dance. I'm a visitor in this culture. And so I take the hell care of it, you know? And I, I, mm -hmm. I take it very seriously. If I don't know something, you know, you better ask somebody. I ask everyone. I ask Frankie. I ask everyone. And if I, if it's not my area of expertise, not that I'm an expert in anything, but um, I find out who the best person to point people to is, and yes. it's really sad, you know. So, it's another thing about the the dance company is that the mission, like Frankie's mission, and then all the dancers' mission was to legitimize Afro Latin dance, and not just Latin dance because there is no Latin dance without the Afro. There is no Latin dance without those drums and the clave and everything else that came because of the slave trade that came to the Caribbean. So, I mean, it's not about separating and segregating. If anything, it should unify us, realizing that we are we are all connected in this, but we have to take care of that. And, and um, that's what he's done with the company and with 
um, with all of us as dancers, because now it's like, and I, I love this year because more than ever, I've been seeing people, um, you know, because of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, not that it just started now, not that racism just started now. I mean, I'm, we, we have to take care of it as if it's the first time because it feels like nothing, you know, nothing ever got done. And all the work that was done came undone with silence and with all of these decades. But, but I see people now saying I'm an Afro-Latin dancer. Even if you focus on the, um, the competitive side, which seems a little bit more separate, right? There's a little bit more ballroom in influence. There's a little bit more, um, you know, if you do more cabaret style. And I think that's what's, what makes us stand out is that um, it's not that Frankie was adding something new into it. He was evolving the mambo, but to show everyone that, you know, I'm not changing the dance. I'm digging deeper into these techniques and fundamentals that I always had from Eddie and from from his time starting out, but I'm gonna dig deeper and develop it, right? Cause that's that's his job and mm -hmm. thank goodness. And now I consider it my job. But part of that is where is the Afro? You know, it doesn't matter if we hear a song that's like, it says, you know, it sounds like the Palladium, it's the most yeah. straightforward, you know, you, you classic, classic mambo that I guarantee you those artists still know where those rhythms are coming from. Um, and it's a part of their responsibility to keep that alive. And so that's for me, that's the difference is we're just doing the basic step up there, um, but we are developing it through a system that it starts to look like, oh, that's a cultural dance. That's an ethnic yes. dance. It's not, dan no, and no offense, because I respect things like Dancing with the Stars. I respect more commercialized forms of dance because they put dance on the map. But when you're dealing with ethnic dance, mm -hmm. um, part of what respecting the roots means is that, and, th and this is this is my tangent to come back around to Taiwan is, um, you know, people would always say, "What kind of dance do you do?" And I don't have any formal training in classical dance, and by classical, I don't mean um, I don't mean ballet only. I mean anything that has a system. Mm -hmm. um, in, in music, they say cl a classical style of music and um, it's something that has a formal system of training behind it or of um, of development, but I have no European-based style dance training. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud to say that. Um, I, I know that people think of it as we need this and it makes us complete, uh, but I only have Afro-Latin dance training. And so for me, I feel like part of what it's like to represent this for me is going to a place like Taiwan and saying, I don't do any other dance. Um, not because I have a problem with it, but because I'm so complete in this and I'm so in love with this and it's my discipline, but I'm also so proud to say, look at this, it stands on its own, mm -hmm. the Afro, the Latin, and it's, and it's, and it really is, a, it is something that is all inclusive. It's not something that only an elite group of people can do. Of course you want to, mm -hmm. if you're going to take it to a high level, there's people doing this at all different levels of experience but it's free and open to all. You don't need a certain body type. You don't need to be born of a certain uh, country or culture. And I love that. And for me, it's legitimate. And so um, to take that somewhere like Asia where they already recognize it though, and that's the crazy thing. They already are like, when, when you talk to them about Cuban ritual and all this stuff, they just, you know, they're looking back further to how do you, oh my God, Mike's so funny. I, oh my God. I, 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 
I haven't been looking at the, any of the comments, but I have to say, I learned basic, basic hustle in high school gym because you could take dance and I took Latin dance. So we learned hustle mambo and merengue. And hustle, <laughs> we didn't learn that much and it's so much fun. It Because the music, oh, yeah. so that's, that's next on my list. And Mike, please, when we come together, you better teach me because I want to dance hustle. So <laughs> and that's Latin too. For those who didn't know mm -hmm. that, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would definitely say over the years with Abakwa, with the company itself evolving, you guys, I believe, have become uh, or definitely one of the institutions in terms of socials that people would want to go to, um, especially in New York. We know the dance scene has evolved. It's grown. In my opinion, I think it's really oversaturated because you now more people are focused on the quantity over the quality. And like you said, especially with your company, I appreciate that you take music as a responsibility, the art form as a responsibility, because um, just, I think, especially in my own opinion, I think the biggest issue where people were becoming teachers way too soon. People were taking classes six months to a year, and now they're teaching. And for me, I can say this because I went from being the dancer to the filmer and going to these events and seeing these same people. And I'm saying it's more about the trend. What's hot right now? This, you see at congresses that we go to, the, there's always a new group that's the highlight of the event because of a trick they did or the performance was phenomenal. But I think, too, is that um, more people should focus on the quality of work and the body of work that a lot of companies have rather than just trying to learn the latest dance and the latest craze at that time. Um, for me, especially in New York, um, I would love to ask you, especially even though you're from, as you say, up north and you know downstate, being downstate in New York City. Um, no, I'm from New York City. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, wait. <laughs> that was a detour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the East Village. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No <laughs> offense to my upstate yeah. friends. Gotcha. I, yeah, New York City. <laughs> from your city, from oh my god, from your experience as a New Yorker, what advice could you give other people on understanding what the New York dancing is like from your perspective? Um, it's big now. It's big. Mm -hmm. It's big, and and I, you know, it's it's like New York when you when you get out of Penn Station or Grand Central or wherever, you know, or you're taking the cab and it's your first visit, and people see it. It's like if you've ever been to other states and or any city really in the world, but you get off the plane and you start driving to your hotel or wherever you're staying, and you can see downtown, mm -hmm. and that's the city, right? We know that LA is like that too, and you see it, but New York is, I mean, it's five boroughs, but the Isle of Manhattan it's a big ass place. And yeah. so of course there's gonna be more dancers and more everything. So it's big. Um, it's way bigger than than it was when I started. You know, like I knew the dance schools and mm -hmm. it's funny because I'm not, I'm not old enough for people to say I'm an old school salsa dancer because there are many, many, many people who came before me. Um, but I came in in this kind of, this nook 2004, 2005 yeah. and it's like, um, it's kind of an obscure time in all of this. So, 
but I got to know all of the companies, like all of the, and not just companies, even if they didn't have performances, there were schools. Um, and so you could count them probably on two hands, you know? And now I don't even know, cause you've got schools, you've got studios, um, you've got individuals that teach obviously and rent space and this whole thing is blown up. So it's really big. Um, and to touch on some of the things that you said, you know, it, it's still a great place to dance. It's, <laughs> and I love it because it's diverse and you will find people from so many different countries still coming here to pursue not only Afro-Latin dance, but all kinds of dance and all kinds mm -hmm. of art, um, even even sciences, they're coming here to do things, um, which it also makes us, in my opinion, more responsible because eyes are still mm -hmm. on New York. Um, and But what I think about New York, and I'll say this for maybe the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, mm -hmm. it wasn't around the time I really started performing professionally, but a few years after that, I just saw the influx of new new teachers and new performers started to go up very quickly, 2012, 2013. Yeah. And it like, I mean, it was like watching, I guess a good stock market incline, like it was watching everything increase. Um, and there are upsides and downsides to that. And, you know, the problem is, is that, uh, and, and this is nobody's fault, but you know, people mentoring them, you can only check people so much. You can only, but, but what you teach people becomes something that they, they hold as, you know, their morals, their values, even in dance, their dance ethics. And so, you know, if I'm training with someone that says it's okay to start teaching after a year, um, either that's the teacher's philosophy or the stuff isn't that hard to begin with. And so anybody can kind of do it and it's very accessible. You know, I waited, I didn't take a private lesson for nine years and after nine years of dancing and I didn't want to do it, I was forced <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I was forced. Again, it's just like the perform the company, right? I, Loriana Perez, yes, little dancer in our company. She was pregnant with her little baby boy who is now a, a man, he's just a giant. Um, but she she got to a point where she's like, I can't. I don't think I can take privates at the studio anymore. Mm -hmm. Can you can you pick up? You know, if they if they fall through, just there's only once in a blue moon I get one there. I do them mostly on my own. And I said, No, I don't want to do it. And she's like, Just get over it. It's just do it. Yeah. Get over it. And I was like, I don't want to do it. I just don't have. You know. So I said to Frankie, I was like, Sh I mean, I told her I would do it, and then. He, I told him I was gonna do that and he's like, great. And I said, I, I don't wanna do this. And he said, you've been doing this for a few years already. You just don't realize it. And he threw a student at me um, and was like, here, you're gonna take this guy from Australia. And I was like, I am not ready for this. It was just, uh, it was terrifying. But, but again, it, the point of our, our studies with him wasn't to teach. A lot of people want to teach. A lot of people did teach. Um, but I just knew that responsibility was great. And so um, what I see in New York, and I, I love dancing in New York. I love it. I love welcoming friends from countries that I love and from everywhere to come here and to dance. I, I have to agree that there's an oversaturation just in general, you know, it's supply and demand. And you can look at it however you want. But 
when there are more and more events, I love that there's places to dance and that we can dance. It used to be that you couldn't dance every single night of the week, um, but there were, you know, you had a, a monthly social here, maybe there was a weekly party at some, you know, at a club, we always went to Taj, we went to Cache, we went to these places and they were, there were staples. Um, but when socials started really, you know, becoming more and more popular and common on the schedule, right? Like on the yeah. South New York, schedule it's not a bad thing but i think we have to realize that there is definitely a cause and effect relationship when you start saying okay we're going to not only have a lot of parties but we're going to have a lot of show times and so there's this rush for people oh my god i can make a living doing what i love so i can get booked at these parties with no experience i can perform at these parties with no experience and and no one really mentoring them and mm. you know it's that's the unfortunate thing for me because i believe in growing this thing not that everyone has to be a professional i love that people want to teach i think it's one of the most um honorable jobs in the world it's also one of the hardest and it's has the greatest amount of responsibility that comes with it. Shout out to my Department of Education teachers, you know, <laughs> working working their asses off during a pandemic, trying to learn how to be uh, IT gurus on top of teaching children and and also dealing with them. You know, it's it's just incredible. And so to see dance educators, which is what I consider myself, okay. not consider it a responsibility and more like. Look, I love that you get to make a living off what you love. It's beautiful, mm -hmm. but that comes with a price. And if you don't realize it, you can really do some damage. And mm -hmm. so I love the New York scene. Um, I still really want to call it a community, even though, you know, throughout this year and in general, sometimes you see things that don't feel like community spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm still holding on to, you know, I want us to be a community, even if there's multiple communities, but, um, but being part of the, the the effects of being in a city this big is that people, it's expensive, people wanna do what they love and they're gonna do it at whatever cost. And so if that means doing things before they're ready, and if that, and it may not even be their fault because if no one's telling them they're not ready, how do they know? You know, it's, this, it's never a blame game. It's about, we're all still students and we gotta stay open to learning. And I think the only thing um, that, I wish were different about, at least in New York, but to be honest, mm -hmm. New York is, a, is like a magnifying glass uh, version of other communities in other countries, other states, the same things happen, right? Like you saw, I'm sure you talk to anyone in Paris or in, in Milan, you talk to people all over the world, South America, they'll tell you when there were just four teachers. Mm -hmm. Not that there have to be four teachers forever, but that there needs to be care in how you develop next generations of teachers so we don't get a watered down version of something that's like, I don't even know, people ask me now, I, I know dancers from Europe, this person asked me once, a friend, I'm sorry, not a person, a friend asked me, do I know about the different kind of basic steps? And I said, on two though. And I was like, do I know about these things? And so he showed me and I said, these aren't formal things. These are like accidents that got trickled down from, from a teacher that didn't have as much experience to a teacher with even less. And pretty soon you can't tell if someone's dancing on one or on two and yeah. not that it matters, but musically we should at least know what we're doing, you know? So um, I think that's the only thing is, is that I wish that we could 
uh, even though we're in a big city, um, I and and there's a lot of opportunities to dance. There's a lot of opportunities to teach to perform. I wish that we could at least think about things as if they were smaller. Like almost think about it like a small small town mentality in terms of the dance. And so, don't think about how to commercialize it and like get everybody doing it because not everybody should be doing it as a profession. And yeah. that's not a bad thing, right? When a lot of us started. I started to learn how to dance with people in a club because when I danced with a partner back in my Mexican restaurant days, nothing felt more amazing than how did I know I just did that? And I knew nothing, but how did I know I just did that because of what, what's happening between these two bodies? I just wanted to dance. And then I learned that's called social dancing because yep. I didn't know what that was either. Right? You're like, oh, you mean dancing? Yeah. Like social dancing? But, but these things are, it was, and because it was all about social dancing for me, and even taking class, it was about community for me inherently, because it wasn't about me doing something on my own. It wasn't about me proclaiming that I'm an expert. And, uh, and for those who know me, it's like, I am still, I'm not a student, like hashtag student. Yeah. I am a student. I study because I don't know everything and I shouldn't know everything. And we should embrace that. That would be my thing is New York. I wish we could embrace what we don't know and not get sensitive or offended by the fact that we're all not experts. We should have something to reach for. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, but in terms of dancing here, it's big and there's a lot of choices. And so of course, for people coming here, even for visitors that continue to come here, for people that live here, just have some, be selective with who you yeah. actually dedicate your time and studies, right? You know, like. It's it. This is something for you. It should be something for you, and it's something to connect with other people. So, I feel like we we have to we have to have some kind of I don't know respect the quality almost, you know. And um, but yeah, it's it's difficult. It's big. It's big. It's yeah. loving. It, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, for me, also to now understanding now fast forward to the present, understanding. We've already been through really a crazy year, 2020, uh, when the beginning really of 2020, we were so used to going into events, seeing people in outdoor places, uh, having a great time, and one day to another, just completely gone. And now we're still, again, recovering, especially New York, and things have been really hectic. And my question now really is, before we get to our segment called The Randoms, is presently, Really thinking about everything that's happened over this uh, year, where do you see our dance community headed two, three years from now? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it real, and and uh, I think uh, I think that's what we need more of. You know, like uh, I I not that I've ever been fake, but mm -hmm. I think I need to keep it real in terms of what I see and and. I think that things will physically get back more and more to normal because that's the direction we're going in. I mean, if you're if you're looking at the numbers now and you think it's normal now, um, no, it's not. But eventually I know we will because we've done it with other viruses, not in our lifetime, but we've done it. Um, but in terms of the dance as a as a as a an entity, as a community, 
I think you're going to see a lot more division. And I know people may not like to hear that, and I'm sorry. Um, but I think that there's going to be a lot more division as we come back together. So maybe it will be growing pains of getting reacquainted. But I think, um, and I and I say all of this as I do with everything, with the utmost respect for all the people in our community, professionals, novices, just anybody, and the families of those people. Um, we are a very, we're probably of three different schools of thought, I feel like. Um, not at the beginning, but once things started reopening, right? I feel like we're either of the mindset that someone like me, we're not ready. We're not ready to go back. We, um, uh, we're being told not to engage in certain activities. And so stay disciplined, stay patient. You know, it's easier said than done, but keep doing that. Um, there's another, you know, there's another mindset or, or way of thinking where, you know, there's ways to do this that are safe and we can do it and it's fine. And so we're going to slowly start bringing that back. And because the city kind of hasn't, the city has still seen dance. And it, if anyone's talked to the city, we're a gray area for them. And it's frustrating because we're not a gray area scientifically, but we're a gray area in terms of, oh, dance, I don't know where that falls. Where do adult dance classes fall? So, so people are left to figure it out for themselves. Um, and people are gonna figure that out in a different way. And so there's a third group that kind of mixes it. You know, like they're still, they're doing a lot of things safely, but maybe they engage in certain activities that, um, that some people wouldn't recommend or that some professionals weren't, but they found safer ways to do it. But I think that that divide is going to continue because as we come back together, you know, and I think that anyone who's been online in the past two days, not that this is anything new, but online in the past two days, I've seen tons of people now. And I'm surprised because I always felt like I was the only one, but tons of people voicing their concerns about things going on in New York. And that's the thing, people weren't really that worried about it. You really have to, to look to see what's going on. Yeah. They're worried about it, seeing our friends in other states um, and poor these poor people in other states where they don't have governments that are proactive and that are basing their decisions and guidelines on science, they're struggling. You know, like people are just doing whatever down in Florida, but there's also people you know, busting their butt to keep people safe in Florida. Yeah. Doing the same thing in Arizona, doing the same thing in California. And so th this has created a divide in, in thinking. And so you can't just put the dance back together, you know? Um, and that's really true, Elizabeth. Don't forget the fourth group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Carol. Yeah. And it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she's, and Elizabeth is one of the people that honestly, there's, there's a handful of people, a big, uh, I'll say a, a bowl full of people that I've never met prior to any of this. We're virtual friends. And because of all of this, I consider them part of my extended dance community and dance family, just because I know that I have people in other states and other countries that care so much about taking care of each other that it's kind of deeper than some superficial acquaintances that I even have in person here. And it's it's a pretty amazing thing that that the power of virtual community has done that. And here's little Suki. <laughs> she won't be chiming in, but <laughs> she's she's oh she has to be part of every every video call. Um but yeah if you see if you see divided thinking, of course you're gonna see division 
as the community comes back together. It's mm-hmm. it's not going to be magic. And I and I think that we are. I think that it would be almost a disservice to ourselves if we just said we're back in business, everything's fine, the past is forgotten. I don't think that we grow from there. You know, that's why in late May and June we're still fighting about police brutality. You want to know why? Because we shut up about it. We mm-hmm. shut up about it in in the 80s we made the mess, in the 90s we closed everybody's mouth even with, you know, liberals in the in the White House. We we never ended racism. We never ended systemic racism. Mm-hmm. We just got good at covering it up with political correctness. And that is not fixing a problem that's sticking a band-aid on an open wound that's still oozing and then soon you've got gangrene and you've got to amputate that arm so it's we would be doing a disservice to ourselves if we didn't really reflect on everything that went down this and it may not just be a year you know like in a month in a month we're going to be at a year this may be going into early 2000 uh 2022 i don't know what i was going to say 2002 my god living in the past but but um but yeah we we have to be able to acknowledge those differences mm-hmm. and we have we have to look at the way we all behave throughout this what did it teach us about ourselves what it what did it reveal not only in ourselves but in our friends in our families in com- in our communities and especially in leaders of our communities dancers teachers organizers what did you do as an organizer you know like i i'm looking at that stuff because i know a lot of amazing organizers that are they are working so hard to stay patient in states where things are reopening maybe they're not supposed to be reopened but they're not doing it and you know i give them my eternal gratitude but i say that because we're a we're a dance that has these huge festivals and congresses right i pray that we're safe about getting back to that but i also hope that we we really take into account what the people running those festivals what were their practices what were their beliefs not only during covid um but you know about social justice about about all of these things that we want our politicians to care about that we want our fellow man care about i want my dance community to care about those things right that's because there is no separation between there it's all the same thing and so um you know i i really believe that if you're going to if you're not going to have this kind of you know if there's not going to be dance equity if there's not going to be safety and science being respected for me personally everyone will have their own things but these are things that i'm going to look at going forward and so i think that that division of thinking the differences that we've had, I think that's going to carry on as we find our ways back to each other. But again, it's up to us. There's there's always a way to come back together when we're allowed to. But are we going to be able to respect each other mm-hmm. enough to do that in a way that's going to help us mm-hmm. move forward and not take us back so that we're having our version of BLM in, in terms of safety and the dance, right? That we're fighting for things eight years after people were telling you this is an issue, Mm -hmm. 20 years after people are telling you, you know, like these things are still an issue. You know, when we come back in here, 
sexism in salsa and in Afro-Latin dance is still gonna be an issue. Are we gonna address it? Because we had all this time to talk virtually about it. We're sitting at home, we're fighting over these things on social media, losing friends and it's like, what do we do next? And so if we can, if we can respect each other and listen to each other, listen to why someone is worried about, why am I worried to go to your event? Why, or why am I worried to work with you as a woman? Or why is someone worried to work with you as a black American? Like we need to look at those things going forward because we have, we're gonna come out of multiple crises. And I, I pray that we come out of it, uh, that we make it through. It's gonna be a bumpy ride, you know? Yeah. It's, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Perfect. I, I love the answer. Now it helps me transition to our concluding segment called The Randoms. About 10 questions that allow myself and the audience to get to know you better. And all I need is to for you to let me know when you are ready. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Number one, favorite food? Mexican. Mostly tacos, but really I love Mexican food. Okay. Favorite workout song? You know, I don't work out to music. Dancing is different, but I don't work out to music. I just, I just do it. All right. So if I can scratch that, what's a song right now? If you were at a social right now um, and you could dance to one song, what would it be? Uh, oh, man. And I've had some things on, I've had some things on repeat. Mm, it's tough. I'm also really bad at names of songs. Wait, don't hate me. I actually have to look at my, my cause I could tell you immediately as soon as I see it. Mm -hmm. um, oh. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> it's tough, but I've been listening to this so much. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like if I could dance to uh, My Ghetto by Kent Gomez, it's an obscure one, but it's a beast of a it's a beast of a salsa that turns into a uh no 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 it just stays I think it just stays straight, but it's a beast of a song. Okay. Awesome. No one plays, by the way. <laughs> All right, next question. Dream vacation destination. Uh I uh right now I want to go to New Zealand because I want to build my uh little tiny shipping container home there, and I would love to just be in the middle of all that green in a country that, you know, has been on the top of their game with safety, uh, with a female leader and just enjoying that beautiful, you know, nature and um, environmentally friendly atmosphere. So yeah, New Zealand. All right. <laughs> Next question. If you can close your <laughs> eyes and you can open them, what social would you be at right now? I'd be at Abacua. <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Next question would be, what's your spirit animal? Oh, you know, it's like, it's gotta be a toss up. Sometimes I feel like it's, it's some kind of wild cat, but, um, but I, I'd probably say, I'd probably say a, a dolphin just because I, I really connect with the ocean and the water. Um, and, uh, and just that, they seem like jovial animals, but also super smart. And I would love to be like that. Yeah, I'll say dolphin. All right. Next question would be, if you could dance with one dancer right now 
in a social dance, who would that be? Uh, it's tough because I got my people. I got my I got my people, and uh, <laughs> it's so tough. It's so tough. You know, I can obviously say everyone from my company because I love them to death, but I'm not going to do that because that's an easy way out, and they already know that I would love to dance with them. Um, yeah, I'm going to say my friend Luis from Madison because he was the last person that I danced with. Uh, I They brought me out to Madison uh, to teach and perform, and uh, we just had some serious dances, and I feel like I miss that so much, and he's so connected to the music. Luis, and there's also someone in Japan that I still cannot find. He's not on social media, but his name is Taco, and it was one of the best dances of my life. But oh, we, we got to find him somehow. <laughs> he's gonna find I, this interview, hopefully. I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next question: What would be your superpower? Um. I uh to to heal suffering. And that, that includes, uh, that includes not only people, but like world environmental uh, to, to heal suffering, to, to fix problems like that. Mm, very deep. I love it. All right. Next question. Can you name me three people that have been most influential to you at this point in your life? It can be dance related and even in general. Okay. Uh, oh, three, you guys. I know. I'm one of those people who my my friend from high school would say, what's your favorite this? And I would list three, four things. And he's like, I said favorite. Favorite means one. I'm like, I know I, I'm very indecisive. Um, okay, but three people. You could even oh, bunch you know. certain people in a group and okay. say that, yeah. Okay, can I, can I do that? Because uh, I, I got to be honest. It, one person, and technically they should all have the same they're all part of the same soul, the same spirit. Mm -hmm. But if I can say um, my Abakwa ladies, Aisha, Lori, um, Karen, and Melissa, because this is the, these are the dancers that I came in and were teaching me when I first started. But um, in terms of influencing me as a woman in this dance, there is no one else. But it is also the four of them. And also Erica, even though she's before my time when I came in, um, but these are women that they did not apologize. They didn't, they weren't put in a position to, but um, they are so free in how they express themselves on and off the stage. Um, I respect them all as people, but also as dancers. Um, and I, and more than I can say, I really don't have the words for it, but I'll tell you something is that you know, when when you start doing something in a in a an environment where, especially as a woman, where you've been taking classes in heels and nothing but for two years, and you go to a place or you go to a show and you see these women dancing their asses off, killing everybody that came close to them with what they have, uh, and they're in jazz shoes. And they can do that without apologizing. And not only that, but rocking those jazz shoes because it didn't matter what's on their feet. It mattered that they were putting themselves or that their teacher was putting themselves in a position to dance their best, to be music their best. I mean, it really shaped me as a woman in this dance, especially as a woman who didn't feel um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I learned styling. I learned how to, my, one of my old teachers just for a year, but Melanie Torres, she taught me how to move my arms and she got them away from my body. And she got me definitely connected to my body more. Um, but I never felt myself. And I always felt like I was, I was faking the funk basically. And it didn't fit me. Um, not that I ever feel like I, you know, I'm still searching for myself. That's what this is about. But those four women, uh, they showed me who they were and they still show the world who they are. Um, and just something simple like that, like what shoes they're wearing while they're doing it. it it's like, I don't know, it's um, who they are as people and as dancers left left a huge impact on me as a dancer, as a person. Um, the The second person, you know, I got to go like very new uh, or, or, well, actually I shouldn't, I should just say my dad because uh, I have to say like, there's probably no one in this world that shaped me more than, than my father who uh, uh, left us six years ago. But, um, but my dad, like my dad was just, I look now at what I do and the way I think. And I'm like, wow, I really am. I always knew we were similar, but he really, he made a mini me in, in mm -hmm. him, you know, like he, he was just, he was so good, you know, he wasn't perfect. He was, he teased me, he was a pain in the ass, you know, like he, he, uh, he dragged me through bookstores and like until I was begging him to leave, but, but he was such a good human and he cared so much about other people, but he was also this person who, uh, you know, like he played flute and he played the saxophone, but not professionally, he learned it and he played it for fun. Like he studied it for fun and that to me is like, that's how I was with the dance, still still am. Um, but yeah, he really just, even to the end of his life, taught me. Uh, he taught me about being, about taking advantage of the time we have while we're here. Um, and just the fact that there is no problem that isn't all of our problems. You know, if if someone else is hurting, that should hurt you too. That's, that's he, he just, he really had this depth of empathy that I've never seen in another human being. And that's probably why everybody loved him so much. Um, and, uh, you know, for the third person, I, I, I could, I could definitely combine a few people, but I, I obviously have to say Frankie, just because his guidance in the dance. And I, I think most people who have worked with him, even students, they, they would say the same thing as that. Um, because he's not, he's not, it's not that he's giving something, uh, I don't know how to word this. He's giving us all something not for himself. He's giving us something for us and for us to take in our lives um, and use in our lives and use to improve ourselves and to enrich our lives. And so very few people give you the tools to do that. Um, and very few people give of themselves so generously and that's the way he is as a teacher and a director um and as a human being also but i i feel like you know teachers are i have i i could actually combine him with my three directors from high school my theater directors and my musical director because they are all very similar they weren't just teaching this five people but it's okay the different walk different parts of my life they they are all doing something with the focus of the student in mind, you know, and I feel like that's the point of the teacher. It's not to make a mini me or um, to make you sound just like me, to look like me, no matter what it is, even a science student or a music student. It's about giving you the tools to become a better version of yourself. And hopefully, if you continue doing that thing that they're teaching you, how to 
improve and and um, and evolve that thing also. And those five people, mostly Frankie, but my three directors in high school, my my music director, um, they did that for everyone. You know, and it's it's a blessing if you get one teacher like that in your life, let alone five. It's it's a blessing. Mm. Next one would be. If you could describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Patient. I, I don't, yeah, it's real patient. patient. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, and now it brings me to my last question. I love asking this question, uh, really, especially because the answers are all different. And it goes like this. You're on an island. Uh, but disclaimer, you do not have Wi-Fi. What are three things that you would have to have with you? Okay. Just three. Uh, okay. I would have to have my Nespresso machine with the Arachino. And Ooh. in a perfect world, it would run on, it would be solar powered by that. Okay. So Ooh. I wouldn't worry about my lattes in the morning. And I would have to have that. Not that I'm an animal if I don't have it, but I love that ritual and I, I love it. Uh, so my Nespresso machine with the Arachino to foam the milk. Um, the other two, I would have to have, uh, I would have to have something that played music. And again, in a perfect world, that thing would it be solar powered? So I would not have to worry about batteries or charging, um, but something that could play music. And to be honest, if I, if it could carry all the music I love, that's fine. But just, just to have music. Um, and uh, yeah, I would take, I would have my cat like, uh, and if she, it wasn't my cat, it, it would be an animal with me. It would, it would be a pet because I love that kind of companionship is, is very special to me. And I feel like those are the, those are my bare necessities. And I think bare necessities companionship, good coffee, I'll probably starve, and music, and that's okay. <laughs> I love the answers, honestly, uh, especially the solar-powered option. Very, very smooth. I like that. You got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Leah, honestly, I thank you for doing this segment. I love it because, again, we get to learn a lot more about you than just the dancing aspect. So for me, I love doing this. It now it brings us to the conclusion of our talk tonight. And honestly, I have to say it was phenomenal. Learning so much about you from your beginnings, how you got involved in Abakwa, uh, the journey, the experiences you've had. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's remarkable, but also it shows the uh, qualities of determination and focus because you understand being in this type of industry it can be draining. Going to, many people don't understand going to four or five classes a week sometimes for certain artists. It's a normal for many people. They couldn't fathom it from doing work, going to rehearsal to doing work again. It's a lifestyle, and not many people are able to last. And especially with Abakwa and your experience from being from the early two thousands leading into the twenty tens seeing that generation evolve, you actually seeing it with your eyes when people say, what was the scene like back then? People like me and you understand what that means because we also understand with social media evolving, now there's more events. Now everything is just everywhere. But for me, it's 
been amazing having you on kind of going through a, a timeline, a really uh, a kind of a glimpse of a timeline of your life. Uh, it's been really amazing tonight, but at least before we go, I would love to know if you had any last words and also contact information on where people can uh, learn about future online classes and projects you have coming up. Yes. Um, so everything uh, for you guys, everything I'm still doing and we're still doing is fully virtual. Uh, it will, it's going to be like that for the foreseeable, for the foreseeable future. Um, but although I haven't been doing um, any kind of dance coaching, which is really what I do, uh, I really do private work more, even though I do have a, I did have a monthly class uh, at our studio, but I've been working behind the scenes to get our curriculum uh, onto our website these past 10 months. So uh, all of Frankie's classes and who knows, eventually I may you know, jump on for a class one day um, when I have the time and I'm not working all this tech stuff, which you guys who are professionals in this field, my, my hat goes off to you because it is not easy. Um, but that is afrolatinfunk.dance. Um, and that's where we house all of our, our pre-recorded video lessons and they're yours forever, which I think is a really beautiful thing to have reference for our training now, uh, once you enroll. Um, my website is leahrobertson.coach, which just gives you an idea about me and then um, my private training. But again, I, I train as a part of our as a part of our method and mm -hmm. and in conjunction with our classes. Um, and then my you know my my words going forward is please just you know take care of yourselves. And it, it, as cliche, it's like all we can do right now is talk in cliches. Yeah. But take care of each other because I promise you, as someone. <laughs> As someone who has lost, uh, as someone who has lost people close to me this year, you don't know. You know, it's a uh, time is short, and it's it's not promised to you, and so you t really don't want to take things for granted, and that includes risking the safety of the people you love, your friends, your family, and even your various communities. So take care of each other. Um, just think smart and, uh, and we will, we will be together again. It's going to be bumpy. Remember that I said that, but if we <laughs> listen to each other, <laughs> we listen, right? It's just listening. Right. And, uh, and hear each other out. And I think that we're going to be okay. So please just stay safe. That's me. Oh, amazing words. And I love the genuineness and the honesty and the transparency you've given throughout this whole night. For me, it's more of a therapy session. It allows us to come really together without any judgment and allow people to just understand us. Because just as much as I want to understand the guests, I want also the guests to understand that I understand them. Because I've seen that journey. I under, I realize the toll it takes. I realize as the day changes, uh, life changes. And you just have to really learn, have to learn to adapt. Um, like you said, even now, dancers who weren't technically savvy now having to be in order to earn a livable income, especially if dance is your full-time job. So for me, I uh, much love and respect to all essential workers, all artists and creatives that are here to make a living. And honestly, again, tonight, having this talk with you, Leah, uh, was amazing. It was an experience because... 
I under, I've followed your journey for so many years, but now being able to just talk to you kind of one-on-one, even though it's virtual, I love it because we get to understand one another. And honestly, I do as well. I really want to thank you for your support, um, comments, and your feedback you've given me over my past talks. And now we're here in the same space in a sense and just being able to build and connect. And uh, for me, I definitely hope in the future uh, we can definitely have this talk again, uh, but even more extensive because like I tell all of my guests, I feel like this is a part one to hopefully more parts. And I think we've also been talking and hopefully in the future, I would love to have you on, but on as a panelist with other artists from New York so we can really dig deep and talk about our community from other people's experience and learn how to understand one another. I love that. And I, and I have to say, I love, uh, you're just a very, very compassionate person. And I felt that since the moment that I met you when you were working production backstage and I, and I, that kind of genuine genuineness, uh, I really appreciate it. And I, I want you to remember that people appreciate that. Um, we don't have to, it doesn't have to be promoted all over social media. We don't have to, you know, forward and share and do everything that people, some people may not speak up, but people appreciate that. I'm learning that also. Like we're, people really do appreciate uh, respect for one another and just um, hearing each other out and giving, giving people platforms to be able to express themselves like you're doing. Uh, which these the shows that I've watched uh, with you and other artists now, that's what you've done. And it really has been a safe space, but a safe space with people that really deserve to be heard. I really enjoyed so many people you've had on. And for the ones I didn't get to see because of work or school or anything, I'm going back to watch them now too, even though I can't respond live. But now I'm like inspired to go and watch ones that I haven't seen because I love that. It's a it's a way of connecting that's um it's so important right now. So thank you for doing that for us. Absolutely, Leah. Um and I thank you and also Abakwa for what you've contributed to especially the New York City dance scene for over a decade plus and realizing how you guys are in my eyes are leaders of our dance community and helping the culture push forward. So again, um, thank you. I had you on tonight. Uh, I thank the audience for tuning in, all of the guests as well. And tomorrow we'll be having Mr. Frankie Martinez himself on the platform. So kind of that abacua one-two punch there from you and him tomorrow. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Again, I thank you so much. And also everyone, uh, during this week, if you check us out on Spotify, Spotify, This episode will be on Spotify very soon. So as well, if you can't check it out on Facebook or YouTube, you can also check us out on Spotify as well, dubakshattheradio.com. So Leah, I hope you stay safe. I hope we can definitely connect sooner or later when things are a lot better. Uh, Thank you, audience. Please stay safe. And everyone have a great night. Thank you, guys.